filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster either of you familiar with the uh, youth literature, the book called Owl Babies? No. No, I know the Sky Guys, but I do not know Owl Babies. Owl Babies is is the short story of three baby owls, juvenile owls, who wake up in the middle of the night and their mom has gone hunting and they freak out about it. It's it's kind of like Llama Llama Red Pajama. It's definitely about, you know, kids feeling Llama abandonment. Drama. Yeah, exactly. Abandonment issues. And the mom comes back at the end and it's all happy. And the mom's like, chill out. I'm coming back. Grownups come back, even if we're gone. Um, it's an important need- lesson for kids. It is the, a theme of much of children's literature. Yeah. The theme is chill out. I need five seconds to myself, please. I no, it's chill out. I need to go get food so we can eat. <laughs> like in this or particular, I just need five seconds to myself. In this particular execution, Adam, let uh, Ben have some time by himself. <laughs> Jason That's the vibe I point. get from Llama Llama Red Pajama. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, the mom's on the phone and taking care of things in the kitchen. Anyway, she um, just needs a minute. I digress. One of the baby owls is named Bill, the youngest and smallest one. In fact. Um, and my my soon to be two year old when he heard my wife read the name Bill in the book immediately started chanting Bill Hamid Bill Bill Hamid. Thank I was super proud. Time. I was super proud. All I know about these kids' books is that I think uh, Ben referenced Sky Guys. That sounds like a cooler book than uh, the other ones you mentioned. <laughs> uh, but it I don't know. Owls and albatrosses and other flying birds. Sky Guys. Yeah, the Sky Guys. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Young Children's Literature Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United. And this week, we're talking about a win. DC United got their, uh, got back on the home winning track, got their winning ways. I don't know. Some combination of words that means they won on, on Sunday at... Audi Field uh, beating Sporting Kansas City one to nothing. We're going to break down that game. And there's a quick turnaround that the Black and Red go to Toronto on Wednesday to face TFC up there. That'll be eight o'clock on Flow Sports or ESPN Plus if you're outside the the blackout radius. And we are going to have a friend of ours on in the second segment to talk that over. Before we do anything, though, Ben, as you wrap Llama Llama Red Pajama like Ludacris, what are you drinking? I am drinking a vodka soda. We got vodka for Mother's Day Bloody Marys, and I just wanted something light and summery, even though it wasn't super hot today, but it's been super hot many other days this week. So vodka soda with a dash of lime. So I guess it's almost a vodka Ricky. Okay. I was um, like 
I was home with both kids who were sick today. And at one point in the afternoon, I think for my five minute escape, I was thinking about recording the podcast and looking at our bar and saying, okay, this is what we have. And I know we have lime and, but the, the weather's kind of cold. So I was like, I will make either an old fashioned or a Manhattan tonight and it'll be great. And then I was running late before uh, we started recording um, because sick kids and putting them to bed and everything. And so I just grabbed a bottle of bourbon and poured it into a glass, just drinking bourbon neat. Wait, what kind of bourbon is it? Do you know? Uh, it's probably Evan Williams. I want to say um, I didn't go for any nice. I was just like big bottle. That'll do. Okay. It's fine. Evan Williams. I like it, Evan it's Williams. Weird, depending on. Depending on my mood, it either tastes much better than its very low price point or it tastes exactly like its very low price point. And tonight, for whatever reason, my taste buds are in alignment and it, it tastes pretty good. Um, it's not always the case. Evan Williams is, is a funny creature. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I was a few minutes behind uh, because we basically have had 24 hours to deal with a game and all the other stuff that also goes on Uh in our lives. Uh, so I was a few minutes behind, which means I only had time to quickly pour some liquor into a glass. So I grabbed my trusty bottle of Patron uh, Blanco and uh, grabbed a couple ice cubes. I didn't even bother with one of my um, specialty big spherical ice cubes. Uh, and that is it. All right. DC United kept pace at the top of MLS's Eastern Conference this weekend. Paul Ariola with the galazzo of a curler to win it for United one to nothing over the Sporks, the fighting Sporks of Kansas City. Uh, the win keeps them tied on points uh, on top of the Eastern Conference with the Philadelphia Union. DC United in second place on tiebreakers. Um, I think they're behind on goals scored, uh, which is. In MLS, well, it's weird. That's the first. No, no it's, actually, uh, it's wins. Oh, it's wins. That's right. Yes. So second tiebreaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're behind on goal difference because the union completely obliterated uh, the revs. And that's it, the difference. The, an interesting change for uh, 2019 is uh, how far north you are. is also a tiebreaker. So <laughs> that's just weird, man. Yeah. It was, a, it that's, was designed. That's Seattle bias. Well, I, I, it was designed really to benefit the Canadian teams for once. Right. Uh, well, I mean, they already get the benefit of having both U.S. and Canadian players count as domestic, but you know, they also get the it's not good enough the for them. Tiebreaker. We'll have to we'll have to ask Duncan about this well, in the second segment. It seems like Canadian society is functioning, which is a big <laughs> benefit for them over ours. Those yep. jerks just can't showing off. Those, Super friendly working country jerks <laughs> with their adorable money. You're so great. <laughs> Hot prime minister. <laughs> well, that took a turn. He might not be prime minister much longer. If my understanding of Canadian politics is correct, which it very well could not be because it's not even surface level deep. Anyway, DC United, um, with the, we talked about it last week with the return or with the, the injury to Donovan Pines and the arrival of a natural left fullback who can walk and run and play soccer uh, because his jaw's not broken and his legs aren't broken and he's not broken. Uh, Marquinhos Pedroso 
those uh, changes could allow Ben Olsen to revert back to the 4-2-3-1 he preferred at the beginning of the year. And that's exactly what we saw on Sunday night. Um, Pedroso came into the lineup on the left side and otherwise it was exactly what you'd expect. And United came out pretty good in the first half, Jason. Yeah, they were, it was a, it was an interesting uh, game because I thought both teams, you know, KC has been in a real rut as we talked about last week. Um, they look like a team that had spent a lot of time on the training ground, getting themselves back to playing the way that Peter Vermes wants them to play. Um, I thought both teams showed a willingness to high press. Um, both teams were fluent with the ball in possession and were good enough defensively that they were able to stop those um, moves forward from becoming anything. It was two teams playing well and canceling each other out to a certain extent. Um, but it, yeah, I think Wayne Rooney said after the game that this was the best they've pressed all year. Yeah, uh, he, he, he was very pleased with um, their efforts as a high pressing group, um, which is really more than anything. I think that's what going back to the four, two, three, one does for, for the group. It allows them to do that in a way that they're much more comfortable with. Um, but, but overall, you know, in the first half United had the better of it. Um, Ariola was all over the place. He kept popping up in dangerous spots. Um, it just, it didn't quite, everything was just a tiny bit off that final ball. There were a few, there was a, a cross from the right that Lucas Rodriguez was, you know, maybe the top of his hair managed to get on the ball. He just couldn't quite get his head onto it. Um, it was, it was just one of those halves where it was just, it was close, but it wasn't quite there, but it's still a promising thing. This isn't like struggling to a zero zero against a bad team. Um, this was a pretty good half of soccer, but the rain started to fall at halftime and the game kind of lost, uh, lost its edge a little bit. Um, and it, it took a lot. It took a lot to um, not necessarily energy wise, but focus wise. It took a lot mentally for, um, for DC to stay the course and make sure that they still um, generated an opportunity or two, not just, you know, set pieces that kept coming really close that way. Um, it was actually kind of frustrating that they didn't get yeah. a set piece goal from, um, the number of times that Rooney found Burnbaum or found Briant or found someone. Um, but over, overall, I think, um, you know, not necessarily an A plus performance, but still pretty solid and, and, and a good one where they benefit from, I think this will benefit them in the long term from seeing how following the good process ends with the good result. Uh, you get your reward if you stick to the process and, don't get impatient and don't start forcing things. And and that's how the game panned out. Yeah. I think United did settle for long range shots a little too much once they got in the final third. Um, but they didn't, I, I'm okay with that. If they have an open look at goal, um, especially if the, the intricate combinations aren't working to get into the box. I like that better than settling for deep crosses against a set defense. And there were some crosses in this game that were hit early enough and against an unsettled defense that I was all for it. Uh, I just, it, it can't be an episode of, of this show unless I'm, I'm railing about crosses in some way. I think we did see a lot of improved individual performances and they even improved from last week when I thought it was one of the better performances out of the three back system. But it, the players seem to understand this one better. And it makes sense because they spent all of preseason training this and the first part of the year training this. And then we're still learning the three back system and they go back to this and everything kind of made more sense. They knew where each other were. They were able to find each other and play out of 
Sporting Kansas City's press, which they had some trouble against some high pressing in the earlier in the season. So it was it was really good to see that. And um just the the individual performances I thought were a lot better across the board. And as much as it's a team game, individual performances really do matter. And um Jason, you mentioned the final ball at, at one point. And that I when I wrote the three things column for the site about this game, um one of them was going to be until Paul Ariel's goal. The the fact that everything was working pretty well until that final ball. And it just wasn't there. And Paul Ariola was kind of my, my main example of that. Cause he would just keep coming up with a, something so close to working and it just would fall apart right at the end. And then he goes and switches sides of the field just for a couple minutes and, and scores a, a goal of the week candidate. So go, go vote for that. If you're listening to this, go to MLSsoccer.com, vote for Paul Ariola in that competition. It but, wasn't uh, Steven Birnbaum's a billion headers that, should have gone in. No, because that's. I mean, on set pieces and open play are kind of in conceptually different in my mind. Just because a set piece, you're you're playing. If you're Stephen Birnbaum, you're reacting to um, the service and trying either trying to put it on goal or play it back across for somebody. And he was getting shots on goal. When when I say the final ball is not there, I I generally mean that the the pass before the shot wasn't right. It didn't it it didn't lead to a shot or it it led to a, a worse shot than it should have been. On set pieces, though, I do want to dive into that a little bit. Uh, Jason had mentioned that that Rooney found Burnbaum's head uh, a bunch of times, and and Ben referenced it too. That very nearly was the story of this game. There were so many more chances it felt like, or near chances that, that were created or almost created from those set pieces. And uh, Amelia came up with a, a big save or two. I think there was a, a, a clearance off the line at one point um, by, by a sporting Kansas city defender. It was just, it was, it was crazy. And Burnbaum kept being really open. And I, I think some of it is that United's figured out a way to have him, kind of start in the scrum in the middle of the goal. And then he either peels back to the back post or runs out past the front post for, for a header. Cause he's so good in the air um, at, at putting the ball where he wants it with his head. Uh, and, and the sports just couldn't mark him on those set pieces. And it, it's weird and unfortunate that it didn't result in a goal the way the rest of the season has gone on set pieces. And that goes back to the process thing that I mentioned before. I think um, if you're United, you look at that and you say, okay, what we're doing is working. And, and they did. Um, I started watching Burnbaum specifically before set pieces to see why he kept getting open. And some of it is a simple thing where he'll take one or two steps like he's going to lead the charge and then he'll back off and the whole crowd kind of moves deep. And then he has space to get those three and four steps running where he's um, able to get a full leap on the ball at full speed, whereas everyone else is trying to hop up from a standstill or fight their way out of a crowd to compete with him. And he's already got the advantage of being better in the air than just about everyone. But now he gives himself that running start on top of that. Um, and it's just a simple movement thing. It's a little bit of a trick that, that he, he makes a feint. His marker thinks the it's going to be a hard run early. And then all of a sudden he hangs back and, um, then he makes his run and the guy is lost in the wash basically. And it helps that Rooney can just put the ball exactly where Birnbaum needs it every time. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, 
if I'm United, I look at that and say, look, if we do this every game, we're going to have, he's going to finish the season with five or six goals. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Can I jump in with a complimentary theory that I w- yeah. had also been thinking about throughout the beginning of the season and a lot of last season, Burnbaum was getting called for fouls when he was like directly in the scrum, uh, mm-hmm. going up for headers. I think a lot of like sometimes, yes, he was committing fouls, but I think sometimes it was also he is so good in the air. It just sometimes it just looks like he's fouling people because he is impossibly high up in the air and his hands are just in positions that refs may think he's fouling people. So I think this is also a plot to get him able to be on the ball and there's no question that he's not fouling anybody when he's doing it. So it maximizes his ability in the air and also he gets open enough that there's no way he's a ref can call him for fouling anybody while he's doing it. Yeah, it also means that his headers aren't affected by being bodied one way or the other, even just a little bit, uh, because he's coming in with all the intention and aggression and and authority on on those headers. And as long as you have someone like Wayne Rooney taking those free kicks and he's he's and corner kicks, and he's shown that his delivery on set pieces, whether he's going straight straight to goal or um, serving it in for someone else, is elite in this league and as long as he and Birnbaum are on the same page and they they know where the other is going it's it's a fantastic combination for dc united and and jason's right we should expect more set piece goals like this um and they were unfortunate not to get one on sunday yeah and and it's not i guess we, we should also pay tribute to the fact that it's not just rooney's great at delivering the ball and it's not just great that Birnbaum is doing a better job of getting free and not getting called for fouls and all that stuff. It's also the set plays are there. The design is better this year. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. There is definitely, you know, the team said they're going to put an emphasis on it and it's clearly paying off. They, they come into games with um, both, you know, rehearsed movements for maybe that one game. And then they've got a few other uh, familiar favorites that they can bring in after you get through, you know, you don't want to ask players to remember 10 set pieces for a given game because they've already got enough on their plate. And, you know, one player forgets, you know, mixes up play nine and play 10 and, and things are going to go to hell. Um, But you give maybe two or three scripted ones and you say, okay, look, the first corner, this is what we're going to do. Second corner, this is what we're going to do. And then after that, we'll use, you know, plays one, two and three that we've been running um, and we'll mix it up from there. Um, but those scripted plays have been really good. There was one um, in the first half that looked like it was a more of a near post delivery. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was Canals that came running in and trying to uh, go for a diving header that um, if he, I, I think he just didn't get clean purchase on it, but I thought it was Ariola on that play. It might've been, I mean, I was at the wrong end of the stadium, um, but you know, either way, two guys that are both small, but good in the air for, for their size, um, and if it's clean purchase, that's a goal. Um, and that's another one of those things where, uh, you have the obvious targets. Everyone knows they're going to go for burn bomb and they know Briant is the second option. Um, but you can still make things happen by trying. I mean, they've got a set piece goal that involved, um, Luciano Acosta ending up getting the, uh, the final touch recently. So, um, they're figuring out a wide range of ways to make these things work. Um, and that's how you get to be the most dangerous set piece team in the league. United's goal came from open play 
in this one. Uh, Wayne Rooney getting the ball in transition and, and finding Paul Ariola up on the left wing. He cuts inside against the the sporting KC fullback and and just curls it to the back post. Tim Melia just got a finger on it, nowhere near enough to save it, and United comes out winners. Um, I, I don't know how much more there is to break down that goal. It was it was during the literally two minutes that Paul Ariola was not on the right wing. He had, I think he said he had made a run over to the left and just decided to stay there through mm-hmm. a couple of courses of play uh, while Rodriguez stayed on the right just for a minute. It wasn't something Ben Olsen told them to do. They, they crisscross and come inside during the attack so often that sometimes they do end up switching and they, they usually switch back right away, but this time they didn't, it worked out for United Paul Ariola um, with a good celebration, uh, pulled off his his shoe and and dialed it up like a phone and uh, he he explained afterward it was uh, a shout out to his his late father who who if you uh, remember last year he passed away uh, towards the end of last season and Ariola missed some time as a result of that and came back absolutely on fire um, really motivated to to make his dad proud and I think he did that in this game. Yeah, I thought the uh, the move was in th- that he used to get himself free was indicative of what he'd been doing for a lot of the game. I feel like he was uh, getting the ball to the top of the box and uh, cutting inside uh, uh, parallel to the top of the box, kind of as you stereotypically think Aryan Robin uh, might do. And he got a lot of good shots out of it, and he also got a good goal out of it. So I'll take I'll take. Uh, an Aryan Robin on our team, at least <laughs> soccer wise, not off the field wise, but. And, you know, uh, Ariola mentioned um, when he was talking to us after the game um, that early in the game, and Adam, you mentioned this, um, that he came close a bunch of times to getting things to work out. Um, and he said, you know, he, he was fully aware that he remembers actually Ariola's recall of what just happened in the game seems very high compared to the average player. It seems like he remembers every little thing. So on the goal, he told us that um, he had lost the ball and then tried to press to win it back really quickly. And in that um, attempt to pressure, that's how he ended up on the other side of the field. And then he stayed over there um, partially because there just wasn't a good moment to switch it back up. Um, but he also mentioned that in the first half, there were a couple of times where he cut in looking to do a very similar thing and just take a left-footed shot. But something kept going wrong at the last second. The ball would run a little too far away for him to really get a good shot away. Or um, Seth Sinovich was too close to him for him to power the, get enough power on it. Um, and so he kept choosing a different option because it kept being, you know, it's not likely that this shot is going to work in this instance. So um, this time when he came in, um, at, he came in or he got the ball from Rooney and he First of all, it was maybe the only time Kansas City was vertically stretched out in the second half, which mm-hmm. is, I think is pretty important um, because now instead of him getting the ball with two or three guys around him, he was one-on-one. And Hostler, Nicholas Hostler, was recovering. He wasn't in solid position yet because it was a play that broke up field really quickly. Um, and so he was sort of scrambling to get in the way, and Ariola realized that because he wasn't in a proper defensive position just yet, a quick cut inside. He said he made his decision early that he was going to cut inside. And because Hostler wasn't in the right spot, he knew that by cutting in decisively, he would lose Hostler uh, in the process. And that is exactly what happened. Um, and he said, you know, from there, you know, you do your best to hit the shot and uh, you hope you always hope that they go like that one. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. 
Um, but no, it was, uh, I think it was a really telling comment that he, we think of Ariola as this hardworking player who, um, you know, comes through a lot of physical collisions for a small guy and he, he seems to keep his feet well and, and he scores some goals, but he's also a really smart player and really aware of what's going on in the field and um, aware of what his skills can bring to the team. Some guys, they, they do what they do and it works and they're, that's great. But I think he really gets it on a, a, a slightly higher level than most of the group. And, and he realized that this was an opportunity where, he had been setting it up all game and he finally got the chance where he had the room to make that cut decisively and get his man away from him rather than his man already being in a set position and making, you know, lowering that space by we're talking like a yard or so is all he's really winning. Uh, but that's, that's what matters. That's the whole difference between scoring a goal and not. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an impressive moment and it was, um, you know, a moment that I'm sure Kansas city is going to rue because, if they keep their lines, if they recover after losing the ball to Canales in the midfield, if they recover a little faster, that space isn't there. But on the other hand, it's good for United because um, Canales won the ball, recognized immediately what was on, moved it along to Rooney immediately. And Rooney, of course, is going to recognize the moment and see that th- this is a time where you just have to play the pass right away um, and not necessarily worry about weighing it and eyeing it up and trying to get it inch perfect. You just have to get the ball towards uh, Ariola and into that space. The space is the important thing, not the time. Um, and he moved the ball along very quickly. And all of a sudden you've got Ariola one-on-one against a defender who isn't in a good spot. And that's how you score goals. So um, it's, it's a big positive to see the team manufacture that goal in a game that started to feel like it didn't have any goals outside of set pieces. How good was Russell Knauss in this game? He was he was back to the flying all over the place, getting I hate the term, but getting stuck into tackles. He had a couple of big tackles right in midfield that were perfectly clean, and he got up and walked away with the ball. Um, he was fantastic in this game, uh, and yeah, and with the ball, and um, with the ball, yeah, uh, both think, both central midfielders. Yeah, I think Knauss only only turned the ball over or only had misplaced a pass six times in, in this one. And junior Moreno ended up with four or I'm sorry, five inaccurate passes and at halftime had zero, um, which is, this is the kind of, those are the kind of numbers that we were seeing in 2018. And mm-hmm. for this to come on a night where it rained and rained and rained. Um, and, and I saw some things where people were saying it was a kind of a sloppy game. Um, I don't know if that it was sloppy. I think that kind of takes away credit from the defending on both sides of the ball, which was really good. Um, but I, I will say that I think um, those two, uh, I think their play is why United was able to, to dictate the terms and, and dominate more of the game than, than otherwise. Um, I think it could have been much more of a coin toss game, if not for those two really winning their battles in central midfield and allowing United to sort of, tilt the field towards Kansas city's goal. I mean, they weren't thoroughly dominant. It wasn't like Tim Melia was under constant siege. Um, but generally speaking, when Kansas city is well rested and plays well, you don't put them under siege very often. So um, this is normally when they lose, this is normally what it looks like is that um, you're the opposing central midfielders play well enough to actually win the battle there. And that's what it came down to. And I think um 
they both, uh, they're not going to get enough credit because they're defensive midfielders and that's life for those guys. But I thought they were arguably as good as anyone on the field. United has a quick turnaround. Um, I mentioned at the top, they, they go to Toronto on Wednesday and then they're in Houston on Saturday. So that's two days of rest between games back to back, which Ben Olsen was right to criticize because it's dumb that MLS schedules games this way, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday with essentially traversing a continent is like TFC and Houston. Those are their stadiums. They don't have to worry about other events. Um, And yet this is still the case. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Uh, Wayne Rooney to his credit. um, I think wasn't wasn't setting it up as an excuse or anything he's like you know it happens that's that's the job let's go let's go win some soccer games um which is a fantastic attitude and why he's probably gotten a part of why he's gotten where he has uh in this in this game but united will probably be juggling some squad rotation so before we we switch gears entirely to focus on toronto Really quickly, what do you guys want to see uh, out of Ben Olsen's lineup in in the Toronto game and even in the Houston game? Well, I think in the Houston game, we're going to see exactly, almost exactly the lineup that we saw uh, on Sunday. I I think they're going to go for it there as well. Um, Against Toronto... I mean, heck, it's another it's another conference opponent. So maybe they do do a a full team against Toronto and and rest against Houston. It, the the thing is, there's not much to rotate. Uh, you're not going to rotate Quincy Ameriqua in for Wayne Rooney for 80, 80 minutes. It's going to maybe a forty five forty five at most. But I, I think Wayne Rooney's going to start all of these games. Uh, Chris Durkin may start for. Junior Moreno, for example, before Chris Durkin goes to the to the U 20s uh, and, and he'll be leaving sense. after the Toronto game. Right, exactly. So that makes a lot of sense going in. But after that, I mean, there's uh, Lucy Segura is going to get a start somewhere in here. But other than that, like Zoltan Stieber has not proven that he can start right now. Um, there's no fullbacks. There's uh, Ulysses Segura is about the only winger. Griffin Yao is still with the U17, so he can't even start. Not that he would, but it's a little light right now. So I think we're going to ride with the the team we got for a lot of it right now. Yeah, I think um, I, I think we're going to see pretty much the lineup from uh, yesterday, and we're recording on Monday. Uh, I think you're going to see that lineup with Durkin over maybe, you know, the difference between Canals and Moreno is that Canals has that um, MCL situation that he just recovered from. And it's apparently similar to um, what happened to him last year, just not as, not as severe. And it's just something about his knees that it might need to be need management over time. So this might be, a game where Durkin plays over. I think Durkin's going to play. It's just a matter of who, who rests and who doesn't um, against TFC. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think probably a very, very similar lineup. Um, if someone comes, cause there were a couple, um, a couple hard collisions where a couple different DC players took a knee to the thigh, things like that. If someone comes, you know, came in on, to training on Monday or on today, 
um, with, uh, you know, some lack of mobility and some soreness that's, that could turn more severe. We could see, you know, Segura start instead. We could possibly see McCann over Pedroso, but I doubt it for TFC. Um, the Houston game, I think we're going to see not major rotation. And in fact, it might become a point of contention as to whether there's enough, but um, that's a game where maybe Jalen Robinson starts over Briant. I think that there's actually a reason to do that anyway with Houston's counterattacking speed. I think that suits Robinson more than Briant um, because against Houston, you're not trying to win a ton of aerial battles. Uh, you have to run. You have to be fast against Houston. Robinson's definitely faster than Briant. Um, that might be a game where they have that in mind. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see a ton in either of these games. Um, but of the two, I think the Houston game is the one they're going to rotate more heavily for, because if you told Ben Olsen, you can win one and lose one of these games, pick which game you're going to win. Of course, he's going to pick the TFC game. Uh, that's much more important. If they win that one at TFC, that could, you know, very likely could determine, um, or, you know, ensure that TFC doesn't finish above DC in the standings at the end of the season, which is a huge thing with, uh, the playoff format. Now, if you finish first in the East, the path to MLS cup, uh, involves everybody coming to your house and you never having to travel. Um, so, uh, the, the, you know, that, that has really emphasized, it has been a, it's a further emphasis, I think on the conference game. So I think it'll be no more than two players rotated on Wednesday. Uh, and then against Houston, you know, they'll reevaluate. And if they have to rotate heavily, they will. Um, maybe Akeem Ward steps in for Hara because, you know, you can't just keep playing. Hara's coming back from a, a groin injury of his own. So you can't just keep sending him out there over and over again to play 90 minutes as a fullback. Um, Pedroso might be fresher because Dallas wasn't playing him as much, but, um, but yeah, you also I, I, might have to worry about his fitness and his recovery because he hasn't played much this year. Sure. Um, uh, you know, as of now, it sounded like he felt pretty good. Um, but if only we had that luxury of any other left back. Right. And, and, you know, we also found out very recently with Donovan Pines that a player that feels good at full time and after, you know, they go hit the, um, the ice bath and then hit the shower, um, you might feel good then. But then overnight, you know, you might wake up and all of a sudden you've got your knee is big and you don't know why it's big. Um, and it turns out because you have a knee injury that you just couldn't quite feel yet because the adrenaline hadn't worn off. So um, a lot, they probably found out a lot about who's going to be in the lineup during today's training session. Um, Olson actually even commented, you know, there was a question during post game uh, about uh, possibly rotating and whether he came up with maybe a, uh, a plan for the, the uh, a sequence of lineups effectively for the week. And before the question even finished, um, he was like, yeah, I don't know what my lineup Wednesday is yet. Um, and it wasn't a scripted answer. It was definitely, he blurted that out. Um, because <laughs> I think he's of, he said during his availability that he's of the mindset that, um, when you try and think those things through and come up with a, a long-term, okay, this is the lineup for this game in three days. And then this other lineup will be the lineup for next weekend. Um, you start to immediately find your plans falling apart and it's kind of a wasted effort because if someone gets hurt or someone gets suspended or this, that, and the third, um, all of a sudden your intricate plan falls through and you have to scramble to come up with something new. And so, 
Um, he is trying not to overthink any of that stuff. And so Wednesday, they're going to run the risk of just being really, really tired. Um, there's not really a workaround. Um, and, you know, if they come in against Houston and it's a, you know, five, you know, if Johnny Northeast comes in and says, listen, if you play these five guys from the start, you're probably going to be looking at um, a longer injury list. They're just going to get, you know, they're, uh, I believe the term they would use is redlining as far as their, um, the danger of picking up a knock or, or something like that from sheer overuse. Um, then at that point you say, okay, fine, we'll have to rotate some guys in and take the risk of going to Houston and having a bad game. Um, but that's, that's why he was mad about this scheduling because it puts you in a situation where the decisions, all the options are unappealing. You don't want to play your whole lineup uh, on short rest away from home. You don't want to have to rotate super heavily and just sort of punt on a game, but what else can you do? Well, I guess we have to hope that the players are, are catching up on their sleep to Johnny Northeast's satisfaction. Yes. Seven to 10 uh, hours. Maybe can he's, you imagine? May- Maybe he's reading them Sandra Boynton books or or other children's literature books to help them fall asleep. I, I, know I, I am very. The, I know they ahead. had them in the like the cryo chambers uh, at the St. James, which is like a, a a gymnasium training facility from the future. Um, to be clear, when you say had them, you mean had the players in the crowd tanks, not had uh, the going to bed book and the dino dance and, and uh, other. I only saw. I only saw cryo chambers. I did not see books about dinosaurs or frankly about anything else, but I don't know. They could have books. They could have a whole library there. Well, now I want to go see if they do. Um, but the St. James is far away from me out in Virginia. Um, yeah, Johnny Northeast. My kids sleep better when I read them children's books before bed. I don't know if that applies to professional soccer players, but it might be worth trying. I'm just picturing him going around house to house reading the players to sleep and it's delightful. Before I go any further down this rabbit hole, I'm going to call it a segment. We will be right back to talk about DC United's visit to Toronto FC on Wednesday. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, the Black and Red will be on the road this Wednesday 
at Toronto FC. Watch it on Flow Sports or ESPN Plus, 8 p.m. Uh, we have our old friend Duncan Fletcher from the Vocal Minority Podcast here to help us preview the Reds. Duncan, welcome back. Thank you. Hello, hello. What are you drinking tonight? Um, keeping it very simple tonight. It's just uh, beer, uh, Red Stripe. It's in the fridge. So there we go. Hey, hooray beer. Mm, absolutely. So last year, Toronto FC uh, disappointed. I think it's fair to say after winning all the trophies the year before. Which version of TFC is this year? I mean, obviously you got rid of Jovinko, but uh, it, it, which version of TFC is this team closer to? Uh, it depends on exactly how healthy Drew Moore and Josie Altador are. Um, but Johnny, I think they're closer to 2017. Basically, we're, we're going to muddle along all year, uh, you know, have maybe one or two good runs, and you'll finish probably somewhere like fourth or fifth, and, um, you know, potentially could do well in the playoffs if one of the sort of hot runs kind of happens at the right time. Um, but yeah, we're, we're a very flawed, uh, team right now. Well, let's go into those flaws. Uh, what, what's the, what's the biggest wart you see on Toronto FC right now? Uh, okay. Well, defensively, um, we're kind of all over the place. Um, I mentioned like if Drew Moore's fit, he's quite good. He can organize the defense and then it kind of works well around him. Like Chris Mavinga is, a, a very good defender if you don't ask him to do much and you know he's very fast he can make some good like emergency tackles all that sort of thing cover up for some faults elsewhere um but yeah he's not a organizing guy uh Laurent Simon has not been as good as hoped um and he might be injured I think after Saturday uh Eric Zavaleta's still crap um so yeah the <laughs> pretty shabby um, we kept a clean sheet in Orlando uh, a week or so back, but you know Orlando. And uh, aside from that, we're generally letting in like two or three goals every game. Um, then up front, for a while there, we were scoring you know two or three or more goals a game. Uh, when like Altidor was fit, he was in a very good run of form. He was scoring plenty of goals and. Just by being who he is, he can bully defenders, creates a lot of space for um, Alejandro Pozuelo, who is very good when he's got space to play with and a really clever forward to be able to link up with. Um, but yeah, Altidore's been injured for like the last four games or so, and Jordan Hamilton is not good enough. And Ayo Akinola maybe would be, but he's a bit young right now. And Terence Boyd's is apparently completely unthinkable to even play him. Not entirely <laughs> sure why we brought him in the off season because he may have played once and then he's just like disappeared. Um, just like his USMNT career. Yeah, probably. Bum, bum, um, bum. Yeah. Altidore, he he kind of came on with about 20 minutes, 20 minutes to go on Saturday. So if he's ready to go, then we're in with the chance of it being an entertaining goal fest. And, you know, somebody's going to win three, two. Um, could be either good go either way. Uh, if Altidore's not fit, you know, DC will probably win handily two or three nil. Tell us more about Alejandro Pozuelo. Uh, he 
was brought in and in my mind, I don't know if this is accurate, but he was kind of the Jovinko replacement and he, he certainly looked the part in his debut um, just dominating the field in, in that game. What's he done since then? And, and is he going to live up to the hype of some random person on the internet calling him a Jovinko replacement? Uh, um, yes, I think uh, he could. I mean, he is, he's very skillful. He's scored some preposterous goals already. Um, including a, a nice little free kick on Saturday. Um, basically, you know, it's it's going to come down to exactly who's with him. Really, um, I don't think you know it, it's you know so far it is you know, Josie Altidore. If he's there, that kind of does create enough room he can do things. Without that, he's had a few fairly quiet-ish games uh, the last few games. I mean, you know, he'll do a few nice little things here or there, which is, uh, that's fun to watch, but they don't ever really come to anything or, you know, occasionally it does come to something and it's uh, essentially what would be an assist, but it goes to Jordan Hamilton or Ayakinola instead and they miss. Um, So potentially he's a very good player um, when surrounded with the right players. So Duncan, we still miss our old friend, Nick DeLeon. Uh, and it looks it looks like, at least from the, the, the box score, that he's had an okay season so far. One goal, three assists. That's not bad for, I mean, especially coming from his DC United production recently. Uh, what have you all thought of, of Nicky so far? Yeah, he's a good player. Um, I mean, he's generally playing, like he's kind of like out wide right on our midfield, really. And uh, yeah, he's... Yeah, he does a lot of like good things. He's generally a fairly sort of tidy, keeps moves going, and doesn't fuck things up too much. And you know, does eventually does occasionally pop up in uh, dangerous places. So, um, yeah, he's a, a good uh, addition, and you know, he he brings up the general hair game of the team as a whole. <laughs> um, you know, just like. Since Jonathan Osorio has got himself a very boring haircut now, and uh, uh, yeah, De Leon has kind of stepped in, and oh yeah, you're the uh, the weird hair guy now. Nice. So there's that as well. And then my other question is, what's a Quentin Westberg? Um, he is yeah, some new goalie that we just picked up in the off season. Uh, American, but I think was. Yeah, overseas French. Or Germany or France or somewhere. Yes, one of those places. You know, they're all the same. <laughs> um, somewhere out there in Europe. And uh, yeah, I mean, Alex Bono uh, was going through a you know a, a good stretch of like having one or two really bad decisions every game that were leading to goals. So uh, we throw Westberg in, and he seems a lot more reliable. Um, you know, the defense ahead of him isn't great. So, you know, he has continued letting in like a couple of goals a game, essentially. But uh, yeah, he he doesn't gift the opposition any goals. That's nice. So at this uh, point, would you rather have uh, Bono or Westberg against DC United? Uh, I'm good with Westberg. Um, I, mean, I think he, he definitely, he's better with like the ball at his feet and like passing it around. Um, but you know, much like other goalies who are better at that, sometimes they take it a little far. And uh, it's like definitely just this last weekend, there were a couple of times when, you know, he was 
came very close to being tackled. I mean, he got himself out of it, no problem. And, you know, the crowd cheers as the, the forward kind of flies by. Hooray! But eventually that's going to go wrong. Um, but, you know, aside from that, which is uh, a little dodgy to watch every now and again, yeah, he seems more reliable than Bono. So let's go with him. You know, neither of them are uh, going to be, you know, standing on the head performing miracles, but you know, stick with Westberg for now. Yeah, and I was just looking up. I was like, oh, they're listing his uh, national team experience at the U17, U20, U23 level for the USMNT. Uh, he must be pretty young, but 33. I mean, that's mm. my age. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is much older than I thought he was going to be. Um, yeah, this is not like bringing in a, a young, new guy. This was very much, uh, all right, we're bringing a reliable backup if the young, potentially impressive guy in Bono like uh, stops, uh, you know, if he doesn't stop giving out like really bad goals, then all right, we've got a reliable veteran guy to go in and uh, in place of him. So uh, that's where we've ended up, really. He appears to be first choice now. Uh, Duncan, I, I guess at this point, um, as a TFC fan, you have to be extremely used to uh, the constant rotation of formations from Greg Vanny. It's always, you know, he's got three or four things he's willing to send his team out in. Um, I think just recently it's been, I think last week it looked like three, five, two. I, I only had a few minutes right before we started to view the first five or so minutes. Um, before that, there was a, I saw at least one game where there was a flat four, four, two. Um, there's been a diamond in there. Um, which of the formations do you think actually suits the team best? Uh, it's a good question, really. I mean, I would probably just, like go with the the three centre backs mm. uh, or the the three five two, but uh, and you know it mainly depends on you know who you've actually got uh, to be those three defenders. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's you know the, the, there's pluses and minuses to any of them really, and you know even the. Like up front, the, the the two part of it, it seems it's very much like one striker and then Pozuelo kind of playing off him, which you know, is very similar to what Jovinko did last year. And mm. you know, and then Pozuelo will he'll drop back and do all sorts of things, so he's all over the place. So it's you know, it's a sort of one and a half at most, really up top rather than a two. Um, so I would guess with. As it looked like like Simon got fairly seriously injured, I'd be surprised if he's fit and ready to go. So I'd probably be expecting like just a, a flat back four uh, on Wednesday, but who knows, really? Uh, overall, um, it, it's kind of been a little hard to gauge for me. Pozuelo and Altador get all the attention down here. Altador always gets, hmm. um, you know, Usually he's playing very well, but even when he's not playing well, he always ends up kind of blotting out the sun um, when it comes to our our own discussions of not just TFC, but you know when he's with the national team. Um, sure. Who else is standing out for TFC this year? I know it's probably not a defender, um, but maybe in the midfield, <laughs> is, is there anybody who's been uh, carrying their weight? Um, but, you know, I mean, sort of Michael Bradley has still been doing Michael Bradley things. He's mm-hmm. you know, very much uh, 
Yeah, and again, obviously it depends on who's around you, but he's he's doing his part in the uh, the, the the back of the midfield, really. Uh, you know, Osorio is uh, you know he's popping up with goals every now and again. I mean, he's generally a uh, you know he he rarely stands out. Osorio, he's a very sort of tidy player. He'll keep moves going, but you know he's not like the guy who's going to be making this like super imaginative pass out of nowhere for an assist, but. Uh, Sort of last year, he all of a sudden started scoring a lot of goals, and uh, it seems like he's doing that again this year. So that's uh, very helpful. Um, that's probably about it, really. You know, I think even though, like fullbacks like Morrow and Arrow, they're you know, they're okay. Uh, you know, Marky Delgado is has still not refound his 2017 form. You know, he's okay, and uh, yeah, it's you know, take Pizuelo and altered her out of there and you know there's nothing really outstanding about this team at all uh you, you we've been we spent our first segment uh part of it was just complaining about the fact that the turnaround is so short um for dc tfc has the one extra day rest but that's still um not a significant amount of time to recover and play another game um looking at the lineup that played philadelphia um, who are you thinking is you, you mentioned uh, Simon's injury. I know Alro also left, uh, looked like he had some sort of back problem. Um, mm-hmm. Who else do you think is ripe to end up being rotated out of the team that lost to the union on the weekend? Um, well, you know, hopefully Josie Altador is like fit to start, mm-hmm. uh, in which case Jordan Hamilton can happily take a seat. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, then you know, aside from that, there isn't really you know, I don't feel like we've got like a lot of really good options on the bench that can easily just kind of slot in and uh be different. I think you know, we definitely had a bit of a A minus B plus team uh, in Atlanta like, a week or so back and that really didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, I would expect them to go more or less with the uh you know, as close to the first team as they can get in this game. And then, you know, if needs be, they'll rotate some players uh, on Saturday when they're playing uh, away, wherever they're playing. Uh, I can't think where, but uh, yeah, I would expect, uh, you know, more or less the first team, but hopefully Altador instead of Hamilton. And, you know, if Arrow's injured, I guess we're going to need a replacement for him. And then, you know, hopefully we find a centre-back somewhere, somehow. Is, uh, is, is more is going to be just the forward the back just by mm-hmm. necessity because all we've got is Saman and Zavaleta and then random fullbacks. Uh, I know Moore was on the bench this weekend. Is how is is he I, with his age? I know it's kind of a concern. Um, well, hopefully he he will be back. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been like talking about that. It's like, oh, you know, he's back in training. He could be here, and then he doesn't play and oh yeah he might be back for this one and then he hasn't played so hopefully you know it does mean that he is getting close uh to that mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean you know, presumably they'll want to you know make sure as i say he is old he's very important so they'll want to make sure he's fully fit so um you know i would i would hope we see him start at the very least but he's always been a player when he does play he goes like the full 90 minutes i don't think i've ever seen jumar get subbed off Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not injured, so you know I'm not sure they'd really did want to be putting him out there for you know a half or sixty minutes or anything. So uh, yeah, again, who knows? Hopefully he's <laughs> back, but 
So, Duncan, put yourself uh, on the opposite technical area uh, for for this one. If you were coming up against TFC, just hypothetically, to pull a date out of thin air, this Wednesday, what would you be focusing on? Uh, How would you... What what would you be trying to do to to get the three points out of uh, BMO Field? Uh, well, I think the main thing is you know go for it. Really, um, I don't think there's anything really to be afraid of. Uh, it's like from this team, and I think our defense is definitely sort of fragile, and you know, especially if you got sort of places, you know, obviously sort of Rooney and Acosta, you who can you. Know, they're you know, they're smart players, and you know they they can be you know, playing well, and yeah, it, it's I don't know just yeah go with the defense, and our defense will break. Uh, where we're not going to Eric Zavaleta is easily confused. If we got you know some smart forward who's running all over the place, he's got to try and follow. It's not going to go well for him. Um, so yeah, you know, go for it, and then. It's as always. Our our fullbacks get forward a lot, so you know there's always going to be room to be attacking like out wide, uh, but behind them when they do get forward, if you can like, get forward quickly enough, there is uh, you know it's kind of easy to attack TFC down the wings really. All right, Duncan. Thanks for coming on filibuster. Uh, if you could tell no our listeners where they can find you on the internet. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Duncan D. Fletcher uh, or at the uh, Vocal Minority website, uh, vocalminority.ca. Uh, you know, don't really write there anymore, but we still podcast. That goes up uh, once a week usually. So that's where we are. All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We are, of course, on Twitter at blackandredu for the website, at filibusterdcu for the podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you got to do. Wherever you get your podcasts, uh, we, we, are, we, we should be available wherever you, you get your podcasts. Let us know. If we're not, and we'll we'll try to rectify that situation. Biggest thing you can do for us, though, is just tell a friend, spread the word about the show. That's a uh, that's a great way to just grow the community or whatever. Um, I'm gonna put the shovel down now and call it a night for Jason and Ben. Thanking Duncan one more time. I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goat. Bye, Jason. That is not what I said, and you know it.